0: And we're back and you are with VillainCast BJJ Antiheroes with myself, Chris the Villain Pains. Weekly podcast featuring either my fellow black belt, Naki Arshad on our show Reap the Week or compelling interviews with other personalities across Jiu-Jitsu. But before we jump into this next show, a thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to receive these episodes one day early along with exclusive video content and online coaching, you can find out more via ChrisPainsBJJ.com. Or join our Discord channel to put your ideas through for future episode discussions. But for now, though, Charles Harriet, Hello, sir. Hello. I was, I was hopeful then that you actually heard me. Otherwise, that would have been really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I just stare into space. <laughs> Charles, yeah. Like, is, he, Charles. is he done? <laughs> 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 oh, great start. Um, yeah, so it's been... Actually, you were requested um oh really on the podcast yeah and i've actually had questions through as well people want to ask you things so um for anyone who doesn't know who charles is um and you have been on this show before but it was three years ago when we were bored in the pandemic um was it really that long already shit wow well that's that's why i kind of restarted the podcast is i realized that i'm still paying for this (laughs) so (laughs) it went out of my bank account and i was like the fuck is that and so I thought, oh, shit, well, if I'm paying for the for the fucker, I may as well make the Use most it. of it. <laughs> exactly. And it was like, so because we hadn't done anything since 2000, I'd just been paying yearly for this service that hadn't had anything added to it. And I thought, you know what, time to time to make a run at this. Uh, it just so if so anyone who so hasn't gone back three mind, years.
1: Because like it, it does not feel like it's been three years. I remember the last time we did this, I was like, we'll do it again soon. I thought yeah, that was, like, six months ago. That's been three years.
0: <laughs> dude, dude I, I, yeah, as soon as we could join again, I stopped giving a shit. Like, I was like, what the fuck am I talking about Jiu-Jitsu for? I'm, I'm going to go roll. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, or where you're from, or what you do, please, an introduction, sir.
1: Oh, an introduction of me. Um, all right, my name is Charles Harriet. I'm a lifelong martial artist. Um, prior to my professional jiu-jitsu life, I used to. I graduated college with a degree in physics. Then I had a regular person job. Taught myself a bunch of different skills, software development, etc. Stopped doing that, started traveling and doing jiu-jitsu, started traveling a lot and doing jiu-jitsu. People started saying yes to actually hiring me to to teach things rather than just rolling. And then I got sponsored by BJJ Globetrotters, got to teach at one of their camps. Then that kind of caused a bit of an explosion. Had a lucky break, got to meet Bernardo Faria and roll with some of his guys, got the gig to make an instructional for BGJ fanatics way back when like that was kind of a hard thing to do, and then just kept on doing it, got a bit obsessed with various things, and now my life consists of this interesting combo of making instructionals, talking to people like you, Chris, tinkering with jujitsu and teaching seminars as I travel with my girlfriend Natasha Koyazos, kind of uh... and then have half my life here in Gainesville, Florida. So I obsess, I've competed in jiu-jitsu, I've not won anything anyone cares about, but I've won some nice low-level tournaments that no one cares about, some Nagas and New Breeds, and just really been obsessed with the coaching side of things, and particularly like the retention that people have in what they learn in jiu-jitsu and how they approach it for the past five years, but even more so the past three years, just trying to find elegant ways to solve problems. And I met you, Chris, at my first Globetrotters in Heidelberg in 2018. And you kind of were my avenue into being frustrated with defensive postures, obsessed over that. And then that led to our collaborations and touring together and ultimately uh, the elbow frame and then our fanatics instructional together. And then continually, uh, I don't know, having, having these collaborations where you act as... The person who says crazy things and makes over the top claims, and then I attempt to bring things back down into reality with with uh, applications. The nice complements of the uh, the theory, and then grounding theory into applications. that I think that we we bring, depending on the venue, who gets to be the crazy one and who gets to be the the grounded reality one. Um. I'm not sure if we're, either of us are grounded
0: when we do those things.
1: <laughs> it's all relative. It's, it's all relative to the other person on that given day.
0: True, true. It's, <laughs> who can one-up the other person with, like, dumb shit? Um, exactly.
1: And so then, But by default, the other becomes the same one.
0: Usually, I always start as well. So when, uh, when we've toured before, uh, I'll usually be the opening act, followed by Charles's uh, brilliant techniques. And I would normally say some shit that he's just sitting... I can see him sitting on the sidelines just like, fuck's sake.
1: Because I always know what you mean. You always There's always truth behind what you're saying. But you always just take what I would easily... For example, like a numerical scale. I would believe that the absolute truth of this statement would be like a seven. And you're like, nah, we're going 12. We're going to go 12 <laughs> with this statement. And just take it... <laughs> and then I'm like... Uh, I can't say he's wrong, but I wouldn't quite have.
0: <laughs> the the so I did a Q and A session in the the, the recent Heidelberg oh, camp Yes, and yeah, your face. Uh, I you know I was scanning the crowd, you know feeding off reactions, seeing how many people were offended, and then I could just see your face in the corner, it's like fuck sake stop <laughs> like, you you were my gauge on like how far oh, to take it
1: oh, I'm happy I could be the canary I'm the canary in the coal mine for your uh, your jiu-jitsu performances I'm here for it
0: it was I loved it I loved it so much <laughs> um, yeah so uh, yeah I remember we met uh, I was a brown belt you were a black belt um at that that 2018 heidelberg camp um
1: yeah between you and Preet, you had me second guess my entire qualifications to be teaching at that camp the day before i had to teach so thank you both um
0: uh, but you made a really good point about globe tries and so for anyone who who still hasn't learned what globe tries is it is the traveling circus of jiu-jitsu it is um yeah exactly i need to talk to you about like put a pin in that um (laughs) because it's it's something where you know you you essentially you're paid an exposure and yep you know it's the it's the it's the infamous artist thing like you know pay for someone in exposure but honest to god i don't think any of us would be where we are if it wasn't for Globetrotters. like pre would not be doing what he's doing i would be nowhere near what i'm doing and yeah yeah, like i said you you would Traveling. I mean, I was already then...
1: traveling, but, like, it just made everything so much easier. Whereas before, I would literally have to do it, you know, one gym at a time, being at that gym, talking to that gym, rolling with everybody, like, kind of putting the sweat equity into, like, oh, this guy's pretty good at jiu-jitsu, and this guy's not an asshole. And, like, that was my entire method. And, like, whereas Glow like, I get to share what I'm doing with 300 people at once over the course of – it's just – and on top of it, like, then I also get to pick the brains and cross-pollinate with all these other obsessed Jiu-Jitsu people. But like you said, it is what you make it, because you can take it, like I think Preet really is the example of taking it and squeezing every bit of juice you can out of the shotter's experience. Or you can just take it and have fun with it, because there's other coaches that just use it as a nice little vacation, you know, like they have no ambitions of trying to, make Glowtrotters into a platform for anything they just enjoy rolling and learning and hanging out with friends and it can be either one depending on what yep. you want it to be or both well I,
0: I had you know considering that my that class that went viral um I had no intention of that ever happening and then all of a sudden it was like here you go like you're gonna get booked around the world I'm like motherfucker like I didn't expect it. I thought it was gonna be a vacation like you said like it was I think my first time teaching as a black belt and all of a sudden I wouldn't be on fanatics, I don't think if it wasn't for that um uh, i
1: think I think that that made you feel more comfortable to reach out to fanatics. I have been saying that you should for a long time, but I think that that gave you the external validation that like what others have been telling you was true. I personally believe that your your quality of what you were teaching was at the fanatics level before. But I think that that was kind of the wake-up call of like, oh, shit, apparently, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it did help having all those comments saying, oh, really good. Um, so, yeah, it was a. I I I literally owe my life and the, the lifestyle I get to lead to, to Globetrotters. Um, oh, yeah. And it's, it's good talking to someone else who is... is is. A recipient of such a fantastic organization that, that Mr. Graugart has created,
1: uh, and I'm kind of jealous that I don't get to do anymore this year. Yeah, oh, I mean you're not going to do it, but you, I guess, yeah, I guess the season, the Austria just finished. Yeah, the European season is kind of open. I have one more left this year. I love the Arizona camp. It's uh, it's different than most of the other ones, but it's just Jay Page's gym. is just like, yeah, it's just such a cool little spot.
0: I enjoyed I enjoyed mine two years ago. Um,
1: as you walked the streets of America, like you just don't adopt to our cultural ways in America. In America, we drive places and you just start walking in the desert like a damn vagabond. <laughs> I I didn't realize those
0: mountains are about eight miles away. Um, yeah. So <laughs> just walked walk eight miles into the desert. <laughs> like that's how people die. Like you just go, yeah.
1: like, la, 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 la.
0: Oh, I got, I got honked at, swore at. And when I came back and I spoke to you and Michael Courier, like, why were people honking at me? And you're like, what were you doing? I was like, oh, I was walking down the highway to to the desert. And they're like, oh, they thought you were drunk or like a homeless person. <laughs> homeless person. <laughs> uh, thought you were a grifter or axe murderer or something <laughs> yeah. like. Thing is, I look like I yeah I dress relatively okay, so probably the axe murderer kind of like yeah. I've woken up from a fugue state after murdering several people. Yeah, you're like
1: the guy from Breaking Bad. You're like one state over.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 um. It's one of the fun things that, you know, since we have met the, of touring, um, and, you know, we've, we've done, what is it now, two, two decent-sized tours. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We did, and then we we did we... the one pre-pandemic and post-no.
1: Well, I guess the full tours were were two, and then we had, when I just brought you, then you just toured in Florida, a little mini one that was just you in the beginning, and then the last one where we linked up, but that was more of just recording the instructional than, like, a proper tour. That takes us to four then. Yeah, four four yeah, yeah. collaborations. The second the, the middle two I think are the most like tour yeah. tours. Like the road yes, trip yeah. and the plane trips, those are like full-on tours. And then the first was just kind of like welcome to America, Mr. Payne's." And then the last one was you kind of setting off on your own like a a free bird touring on your own <laughs> without uh, your American guide. Uh, the
0: last the last one involved you High off your face, staring at a lake.
1: Like See, I had one to guide me. What like, are you talking, talking about? about? See, Suppose the thing like... is, that the thing you guys don't realize <laughs> is that I would do that exact same thing regardless. Like, not to mention you, you and Naki, and and like these damn what was it was it a chocolate or something like i don't do this like i generally am a sober human meanwhile you two (laughs) like professional psychonauts over here like i'm just not prepared and you're like just have a chocolate and i'll be oh okay and i'm but i would do that i would walk across that street and stare at that lake on a regular day like that's something that i do i love nature and i love staring at water and you guys are like no we will not cross the streets it wasn't a street; it was a highway. It's not car, a highway. Highways walk? aren't one lane. It's so, just a. You, it's not a highways have more than one lane. It's it one a lane. Fast, way.
0: It's fast road. Welcome um, to America. <laughs> so
1: so fast I think
0: here. I think that's a perfect metaphor. Like I say, like the first time I came to the states, I was I'd never been across. I was young. I was I was, was naive. I was unaware of your customs, and I was scared. <laughs> and then. Here we are at our last one. We've just recorded at Fanatics together. And you want to walk now... again.
1: What, the trend is you walking on roots
0: And now here you are. You've, you've walked off. You've left me. <laughs> you've, you've gone, you know, you don't need me anymore, Chris. And you just wandered into drafts. Spread your wings and fly. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful metaphor.
1: I <laughs> mean, it actually makes me really happy because, like, I remember when I first brought you over, like it was partially because it's like, let's bring my buddy over. But secondly, like I saw the value of what you were doing and I was just like, I can't believe that no one else seems to see this. And so like belts be damned, like he's just a brown belt. I don't give a damn. Like he knows something I don't know, which to me is something that I think is really important. And I think kind of becoming more of a thing these days as belts... Not that they mean less, but it's not about being a black belt means knowing everything. It means I want knowledge. If this other person has knowledge I don't have, or an approach I don't have, or I want to get it from them, and I really don't really care who has validated their knowledge and said that they are this color belt or whatever. Like, if someone knows something I don't, and they've proven it effective to me, I want to learn from them, you know? Like, that's it's as simple as that.
0: Just before I I put some extra onto that, I just want to clarify, after the the miserable little moment I gave you in Heidelberg, you say, I think you've rewritten history in your head. Oh, I want to give this guy some, some platform in America. You then put a bounty on my head and told people to fuck me up for a coffee and then people were hurting me i have a black
1: eye hurting you i had a black eye after day one (laughs) hold on hold on let me be clear you you made a statement and i was i it was the whole point of it was to promote the seminar and i was like i met this person who i can't tap out and in general, of those people where I had trained, like I tapped out most people. And so I was like, I wonder if any of these people can successfully do this to Chris. I didn't think that a $2 coffee would be something taken so seriously. It's not like I put a bounty out on you for $1,000 <laughs> or even what? even $5. I offered a coffee. Coffee That's is enough. $2. <laughs> you put – it doesn't matter like
0: how much the prize is worth. There was a prize. Um <laughs> So anyway I
1: only did that in one gym I did not do that In any of the gyms That had like The The ADCC caliber athletes I did it at a regular Local gym In a small town You did it At Dan's place In Tampa (laughs) I did not There was no bounty On you in Tampa The bounty was only In Gainesville I did not In Dan's place I did not buy Dan a coffee Alright (laughs) So So, there was no bounty in Tampa. In Tampa, it was just, let's roll with my friend. But you, in your class you taught, had pretty much, in your usual fashion, like (laughs) cackled and laughed and been like, ha ha ha, you can't get me. This stuff works. So, you kind of did the Tampa one to yourself. Maybe. Um, (laughs) Maybe. But
0: to be fair, the Gainesville
1: one, one, I will take credit. In Gainesville, (laughs) I did put a coffee bounty on your head that is accurate. And no one collected. And it proved the efficiency of what you were doing. And it got one more person to come to the class.
0: They smashed my face in. Um, so... <laughs> so going,
1: it came back.
0: Going back to your previous <laughs> point. Um, yes, I would say that about belts. Like meeting people with globetrotters. Because uh, Christian doesn't really hire um, competitive, big competitive black belts.
1: Like, athletes. He has, but they don't last. Not long. The people that last are the teaching-obsessed people. Yeah. Like, we have a couple high-level competitors that still come in and out. And not to say that some of the people that compete aren't highly skilled competitors, but I wouldn't say that they're your, like, ooh, this guy is considered a a big name, so to speak, in terms of the current competition scene. Like, I would say, like, the... Probably most obsessed competitor is probably what Wim, right? Wim competes probably more than anyone else. Who do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, Freddie back when he used to come.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. The vast majority of the coaches who come aren't active, mainstream, big name competitors. They're all people who can communicate their jujitsu. I think it really does it. It it reframes, um, the whole conversation of what you want in a black belt. Do you want someone who's just going to be there for a good photo? Like, oh my God, I saw this person. Or do you want someone who is genuinely capable? Because at that point, there are plenty of purple belts and brown belts I've met at the camps who are like, this person's pretty fucking smart. I like what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, shit, Sven Groton. Like, he wasn't a black belt until a couple of years ago. We've known him a lot longer than that. Yep.
1: And he's a He had his little red guy. black belt and that was kind of his like side door in, but he was not a jiu-jitsu black belt. You're it was right. A, he was a purple
0: belt for the longest time. In jiu-jitsu, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I think that's also due to his own self-standards of not wanting to just get one of those. Because there's, even in jiu-jitsu, you can get your black belt or you can get your black belt. I'm sure there are people who would have just rubber stamped him, but he didn't want that. And he kind of was very picky about who he chose as his Black belt mentor and who would end up promoting him. And I kind of give him credit for that because he very easily could have just found someone to rubber stamp him just based on how well he rolled alone back then.
0: Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, But from a purely aesthetic point of view and and superficial, you look and think, well, why would I learn off this purple belt? But no, goddamn, he is we've both stolen shit from Sven um, yeah. and it's yeah it really did open my eyes up like from those initial camps where he had to take on those high level names like Gianni Grippo Kino Cornelius Clark Gracie there was always a, a big name there but I always got more out of the smaller European coaches that could you know who, who'd take their time to like really sit with you and talk about their jiu and you could feel it and, and they'd know what they were saying um not to say those guys, you know, can't teach.
1: You know I'm not I'm not blanketing it, but the, well, I, think the... I missed I uh, I wasn't at Globetrotters for that era. By the no. time I got to Glove there was I think there was like one or two people who have like trickled in that are are, are names, but they've never been the center point of anything. They just no. kind of like they happened to be there. Versus um Versus it being like, because for example, like I went, I taught at the Hodger Gracie camp last February and it was very clearly, this is Hodger Gracie camp. Why is everyone coming? Well, because Hodger Gracie is going to be there and everybody else who's not Hodger Gracie is Hodger Gracie and others, you know, like it's very clear you're coming to Hodger Gracie camp to see Hodger Gracie. And to be fair, like he's one of the exceptions in that he is actually a fantastic instructor and Mm. very detailed and very good at communicating what he does but that's the exception. The yeah. to of of being a it's very very rare that you find the amazing competitor who's also the amazing instructor. It's becoming I think more common in yes. a couple of the teams, but in his history that wasn't the case. I think the great examples really being the uh the Danaher team tends to produce good instructors as well as the B team. A lot Kenan. of their guys tend to also Keenan's also actually there's a guy from Legion who I've been following I don't know his actual name because I remember Instagram names who communicates beautifully and like he he really communicates a lot of stuff that that I agree with just I really enjoy his instagram I'll have to look it up and and uh share with it you share with you but like you're right, kid, yeah, the legion guys are also quite you know like sticky with how they're diving into how to communicate versus just do like me <laughs> that was. <laughs> I remember, uh, so (laughs) Keenan
0: spent three or four hours uh, at the 2014 Globetrotters camp explaining Wormguard, because it was just as Wormguard came out. And I think the year you were at Heidelberg, there was a high-level, international-caliber competitor, Black Belt, who condensed what Keenan took four hours to do into a single demonstration of a technique <laughs> and then it was like okay you, you guys go do that now and everyone was like the fuck <laughs> Keenan spent four hours explaining what you just did once and everyone just had the same look on their face of huh
1: <laughs> and he was like oh, I'll show you again then like, oh, thanks. <laughs> That's so funny. Like that, that attitude of like, and I think it's, it's not even something that I think people realize. I think it's that unfortunate thing that happens when you've been doing something so long and you're so good at it, that it's so internalized for you. It's yeah. so effortless for you that you can't fathom why anyone else would need more than what you need to absorb it. Yeah. And like, I've experienced it. As you know, someone who's pushing 20 years in this sport to be at a seminar and like, I'm struggling to keep up. And I look around the room and it's mostly white and blue belts. And I'm like, if I'm struggling to keep up, like what chance do they have of actually learning this technique? And then I look at the coach and like, he's looking at the class with disdain. Like, oh, if only I had better students. And I'm like, no, no not if only you had better students, like what you're teaching them could be learned by them if you were a better coach.
0: I think, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm kind of happy that I never stopped teaching beginners, like day one beginners, like no matter, you know, I wasn't going to take an advanced class and let a blue belt or a purple belt run a beginner's course. I was like, no, I'm teaching everyone who ever walks in the room. And so I get repeated attempts at how the, what's the most simple way I can explain this idea um, and I just, I'm, I'm quite fortunate as I, I you know, set myself up that way. That man means when I'm in a seminar, it's like, I can go, I can meet you where you are. Exactly. I'm not expecting you to meet me
1: where I am. Which I think makes sense, right? Especially cause you're in a one to many situation or maybe a two to many situation. If you have an assistant with you, which is that like, there's a small number of you and many of them. What's easier to change you or them always way easier to change you. Way easier to change you than to just expect the entire room to rise to your expectations.
0: Yes. Um speaking of Globetrotters, this is what I want to put a pin in I was remembered it now. Is this is the first year I felt like a clown at the circus. In <laughs> that as in you know, previous years it was, you know, I think it was just the amount of people and everyone was so hyped up at the camp. It was the first time I felt like being the entertainment is that you know you saw me by you know because previous years I was always like one day you know the, the people at the camp I paid to be there and then um you, know, you saw the black belts unable to take off their own rash guards because they, they were that beaten up but now being on that side of the fence like the amount of people just queuing up to kick my head in and then I remember when my back went and I was lying on the floor on that last day. And I'm I'm practically in tears, lying on the edge of the mat. And some white belt <laughs> sees me, walks over, like, leans over my head and goes, Are you still, are you still good for a roll? I'm like, I'm dead. Like, if you want to just, like, start just doing, like, humping my corpse, be my guest. But right now, you,
1: you ain't going to get much more than that. Um, well, I think I had the exact same experience at this camp because... I had my um my back and neck go due to like <laughs> and, and on on the second day no less. That was what was so frustrating. Yeah. Cause I'm like because I didn't like it was one of those things like the thing that I learned at my very first low trotters camp from Christian was these two things. Always warm up and never roll harder than eighty percent. And I did that. I in score and, and My injury rate went down from like once a month, like it was when I first started traveling, to like once a year. And I broke my own rule. I was late for open mat, and I didn't warm up. And I ran out, and I got a club from hell on my neck. Felt the lightning go down my arm and leg, and I wasn't the same. For like, I'm still not the same. I'm still getting chiropractic adjustments right now because my neck is effed up. But I still rolled all day that day. Yeah. Like a, like a stupid person, and I could feel that, like, from white to black, because I was a little off. The people who know me, it's like the, the sharks that smell blood in the water. They're like, "Wait a minute, he fell over." Yeah, yeah, he's
0: weak. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. They saw me injured and they thought, "I'm going for that one." Um, I, I was, I was laughing with Francesco. So we, it was, I had a dorm room with Francesco, Wim Deputra and pj lucy and i was laughing with francesca so i was like you know i feel like a clown the first time at the circus i was like i don't think these people realize that you know after the show's over we go back to our our hostel and it looks like a head injury ward as in (laughs) you've got you've got pj lying in bed just not moving you've got Wim like quietly like no, actually, no. This is what made it funnier. Wim would wake up screaming. Is that at one point I get up in the morning and I'm like, I see PJ's awake and I'm like, yeah, good morning, dude. Wim jumps out of bed screaming like, what the fuck is happening? And um, like, Francesco then shits his pants because Wim's screaming. I'm like, so you got PJ asleep. Wim's got PTSD. Like Francesco's just running his headphone cables through his hands and I can barely roll over in bed because I'm broken I'm like you guys don't realize like how much that like, we get back to our hostel and we're just lying there waiting to get carted out again like, like, like well, circus that's the hilarious
1: thing like as I, I like think about it like as you're feeling you're like because this is kind of how I've always felt like, at but I've been pretty good because I warmed up and like refused to go over 80% like most of the time I was able to keep myself healthy but the night before I didn't warm up for thing, I chose like an idiot. Because Wim and I, every time we roll, it's never short. Because neither of us wants to admit that we're tired. Neither of us wants to say we're done rolling. Like when we first rolled for the first time ever, it was in Estonia. Preet kicked us out of his gym. He literally turned the <laughs> lights off in <laughs> the gym and said, My secretary needs to cast the last train. Get out. But like the lights are off. We're still rolling. And Preet had to kick us out. That's how every roll I've ever had with Wim goes because we're both constantly like chasing each other and That's... so i had had a war with him the night before and was already halfway like this and then i don't warm up that morning and <sighs> like i like an idiot
0: i think whim is the uh the the uh, thing in common we have is that because i rolled with whim and we'd had a half an hour roll at an open mat. Yeah. And I think it might have been the same day that then, because it wasn't any rolling that actually did me in. You know, I was going, having just black belts and brown belts just come for me. At one point. Those I are actually, had, in my
1: opinion, more safe and more fun than, than the giant purples. And, and like I might be like, purple and browns under 30. That's That to me is I, the danger zone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, the I black had belts usually aren't so a, bad i had a mountain of people at one point like i had a whole gym come to watch me fight their coach and they were recording it and everything oh and I was yeah, like, yeah
1: i had that i had that as well
0: as i made an example i pinned him stared dead dead eye down their camera as i slowly wrist locked him not breaking eye contact and like, i love how I you, like, just, yeah, you, you just you just right.
1: embrace embrace the psychotic stuff i'm gonna turn off my phone my mother is calling me i have to t- let her know that i'm talking to her later As we go to uh, airplane mode. (laughs) (laughs) A podcast faux pas. Um, I know. The funny thing is, I usually uh, don't have any of these problems, but my mom, she loves me, and she's concerned about my house. I told her that I uh, went to the chiropractor, and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'll be all right. Tell my mom that I have to call her back. Even though I had a half an hour war with Wim,
0: us just being perfectly positioned for half an hour on each other yeah yeah the thing that fucked up my back was making the power rangers megazoid with natasha
1: to fuck with you wait just that one that one <laughs> piggyback ride is what do you have the you should somehow load the picture into the show notes so people can see this yeah. photo it's i, it's I don't really think i have hilarious. the photo I will send you this photo. This will be done. 100%. I will send you this photo.
0: And so, it because we were trying to fuck with you and make this big uh, you know, Power Rangers uh,
1: megazoid, you, uh, that fucked up it. my back. I, I'm not happy, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sad either. <laughs>
0: so, yeah, karma. Karma came and got me. Um, oh. Actually, leads me on to the. I actually have notes. Hold on.
1: Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the photo real fast or I will forget. I have almost found it. We're almost there. I oh, don't know. I have to get it from Natasha. It's not showing up.
0: Okay. Well, again, these little notes I have. And one thing that I, I, I have talked about other people with this, uh, you came up a few times in different conversations, is your... I don't think you'd probably refer to it as karma, but how you do good things for people and just keep that that going um of you know you you just not for your own benefit you just do things and help help people out like you didn't have to vouch for me that time in america you just did even though it was of no benefit to you um i don't know, know.
1: i just just the truth i don't know i, I i've a very i've always been a very big proponent of like like there's no there's no reason to not you know like I would never have vouched for you if you were not of merit and value. Like I if you weren't worth it, I would have just been like, "Oh, nice to meet you," and you never would have heard from me again. But as I said, <laughs> oh, no, I understand that, but I said, you didn't do it for any of your own
0: benefit, like I, 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 I mean, I had that's... the benefit of getting
1: to learn from you, like which that I guess I got that benefit. It's not that good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cuz for whatever reason, like I always say like Preet, I love Preet and I've learned a lot from Preet's stuff, but for whatever reason, like for my learning style, the way you communicated, at that point in time, you were communicating Preet system. Now, obviously, you've gone far much beyond just communicating the defensive postures and you have your own stuff and yada, yada. But at that point in time, it was like, you're doing a thing that I don't understand. Preet has explained what this thing is that I don't understand and I'm trying and I'm failing you explain it. And for whatever reason, due to my learning style, and I'm getting it. So like, and like, we get along, you're younger, we have like, we had the, like you wanted to roll with me. And like, I don't know, it's just one of those things where like, that's kind of my view. So I kind of just do stuff that I think feels right. Because it's even the same thing right now. Like whenever someone impresses me, and I feel like what this person is doing needs more attention. I try my best to help out With the powers that I have, whether no matter how small they are. Like, in the first time, what did I bring you, really? I brought you to Gainesville, Florida. A town with a population of 200,000 people. Which is is a lot when you compare it to the country of Iceland. But very small when you compare it to the United States and other big cities. But it was like, this is something that I find novel and unique. And let's let's, uh, see what I can do with it. So yeah, I guess that's kind of my motivation. It's just kind of like, I like that kind of shit. It makes me happy. Like, I have intrinsically made happy if I can help someone who has put effort in or someone who has done something I find exceptional to exceed, succeed like that makes me happy
0: well it's one of the life lessons actually i I've taken from you and you know you there are people that I've now helped as well in like any platform that I have available to me just an idea that if it helps you along on your way like we, we I'm we're not here to each other down like if you can just help someone along even if it's of no benefit to yourself if you have a, a ability to uh, and it was your your bright nature made me a better person
1: <laughs> oh you're getting all sappy with me i i appreciate this so I, well no as, it's as, you as think you're, you're, worth the, saying the funny thing is as you've chosen the villain as your as your moniker as your logo to be a bad guy, and you're talking so kindly about someone doing a kindness to you. Like, this is, is are you sure this is on brand for your mystique?
0: <laughs> Anyone who's listened to any episodes of this knows that it's all a facade. It's all, I, hopefully, I'm not too much of an asshole. Um, but no, you you taught me that viable life lesson, in, especially in jiu jitsu, where, you know, us, you know, under tier D list coaches. Like we need to, we need to help each other out and of course, not anyone, yeah. anyone ever, like not even just jujitsu. Like you, you're very much a, you know, you're, you're, I think Christian said it really well. I think on, maybe on the documentary, you can't go around the world without coming back different. Um,
1: yeah. It definitely impacts you. I, I guess I, I, it's also like something that's come from, I've been the beneficiary of so much, you know, like, kindness of random strangers around the world jiu-jitsu and otherwise like my first time in japan like a random like japanese equivalent of a soccer mom helped me find my train like walked like half a mile through the labyrinth of of train stations to show me where i needed to go as i spoke my like freshman year college broken japanese to her for no reason No benefit. I will never see her again. I do not know her name. I have a random picture with her from like 2017 or 2016 that I I have to, but that's it. And she gets nothing from that. Or even like the amount of times where like I've been lost in places and people have helped me out. The amount of people who chose not to rob me when I fell asleep on buses. I'm thankful to all of them. Like it sounds silly, but like my very first time traveling in 2005, like I fell asleep on a bus in Spain and some dude robbed me. He stole my camera like cuz i was a bright-eyed little 18-year-old boy who looked innocent like there'd be no consequences now i don't look quite as innocent but just i could choose to like not trust anybody or i can look at the weight of my life and there's just so many people who have just for just chosen to be kind to me you know it's just been kind of a of a cool ride
0: i think so i just pay yeah. forward yeah exactly i think that's a, a... You are a a shining example of that idea of pay it forward, and you've made you've made me a better person from your attitude. And hopefully, anyone listen to this will will see that it is possible to be a good person. And yeah, you don't necessarily and pay um, it forward.
1: Well, actually, that was the the most important view, like little statement that um kind of changed my mind. Because there's that that whole nice guys finish last thing that um was always kind of the moniker of like don't be too kind, don't do whatever, don't be a sucker. And someone reframed it for me once. It's like nice guys don't finish last. Boring guys finish last. Just don't be boring. Like <laughs> it's not like you're like you're not you're not not getting the girl or not getting the job or whatever you want because you're nice. You're not succeeding because you're boring. Just don't be boring. As long as you're interesting, you can be kind and still be successful. And like that little tweak has like at least I don't know how old it was. I think that hap- That that statement. That little. I think it was given me back in 2005 when I was first on Study Abroad. And someone told that to me. And, I, like, it was paradigm-shifted. And, like, I would definitely still... I, for all I know, would end up being one of those, like, like frustrated, like, like angry, like, incel-type dudes who's just, like, I'm <laughs> kind and just, no one likes... I, 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 <laughs> the
0: thing is... Like- I was actually contemplating when you were saying it, is like when, when it comes to this part of like the video, is uploading a picture of Ted Bundy and like saying <laughs> that's a quote by him over your face. Oh like God. Like, <laughs> I,
1: I'm gonna nice find guys. out that like I have no idea who who nice. said nice guys don't finish last It's boring, boring guy. Just don't be might, boring. It might it might be Hitler or something. I have no idea who said that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like remember is,
1: when hensel Gracie he quoted hitler or Himmler by accident yeah like, i don't know who said that i should probably look up who i'm quoting
0: and that's what i thought like you could you could put up a picture of ted bundy and say and actually people believe yeah he probably did say that <laughs> <laughs> like, just don't be boring like that's how you get the girl <laughs> like, <laughs> it's
1: it worked out i don't know it's, I, I have a girlfriend she she likes me i was not boring when i met her but i have been kind i, I, I really do think that um Kindness gets a bad rep. It gets a rep that, like, you're a sucker for being kind. Just, you can be kind, just be interesting. This is, if you learn nothing from today, <laughs> this is message. <laughs> it could be the title of this podcast.
0: Right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't just be kind, be interesting. Um, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, there's a question uh, I do have. Um And it's about the elbow frame. Okay. Holy, holy fuck. So, have you seen the video of uh, Mr. John Jones and Mr. Gordon Ryan? I have. I sent it to you. I saw it. I was like, (laughs) ah! You and so many other fuckers have sent me that video. And I'm like, I know. Um... Yes, I know. Well, it wasn't I just know. the elbow
1: frame. It was also the Sumi Gaeshi pommel and, like, the whole thing. Because that same guy I'm talking with Legion broke it down. I'm like, this is what I've been teaching. And the arguably greatest nogi grappler of our generation, if not more, is doing the shit that I've been fucking yelling about. It made me so happy, and I have not exploited this. I should have, been, I should have an Instagram video being like, look. But I, I currently do not. I know, I, am I know. Money on the table that I'm slacking with my Instagram... Uh, editing skills dude something for you to uh
0: to maybe fucking look at after we finish no, I,
1: I think that's what i will do i actually I, I actually signed up i i paid an editor so maybe i'll put him on that job because i was editing myself but i just it needs to be consistent and like when yeah. i'm on i can edit but like i get into these lulls where i just don't want to but uh yeah, I should indeed do that because that that for me. But I've been seeing it everywhere. There's also a, a high level wrestler. Uh, I follow her Instagram. Name is Victoria, and she. Uh, I can't pronounce her last name. It's probably not a real last name, but like she's a really good wrestler, and like she uses the elbow frame standing to do throws. Mm-hmm. She'll pummel out uh Russian two on ones, put the elbow frame in the armpit, and throw people. So I'm. It's kind of like I can relate so much because when I first. Um, when, when pre first became a meme lord, remember that weird transition where like yeah. the quiet Estonian became a meme lord? I, no one saw that shit coming, but, um, he started posting like the videos of common things and like showing his postures. And like, because I spent three years obsessing over effectively this, now I see it everywhere because my eyes are opened to seeing it. Whereas before I wouldn't necessarily have noticed it, but it's friggin' everywhere. And so it makes me so, and just like Pre said, like, it's not that I invented anything. It's just Gordon Ryan doesn't talk about that that way. Like, like other people don't talk about this. Then again, I don't necessarily know that you need to make it the linchpin of your entire system like I have, but it certainly is useful. It certainly answers a lot of questions with a single move. It's, you say don't make it a linchpin of everything you
0: do. Dude, I made it the linchpin of everything I, I do. I mean,
1: I have, but I don't think that you have to. I think that I think that it's useful and I'm using it that way. And I think the idea of framing as the linchpin of what you do to you to save on explosive energy is useful. But I am not so arrogant as to believe that this is the only gem to be. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure that there's other ones that might be just as good that you can complement it with.
0: The holistic idea of get the fuck up. That is what really changed everything. And Preet did call me a dictator. For uh, demanding that no one in the gym plays guard anymore
1: um, but I've always said this about your gym like your 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 tyrannical attitude in your gym produces something very unique that I don't see in all my travels virtually anywhere which is uniform adoption of particular skills the very first time I came to your gym the fact that an entire gym of mostly white and blue belts all required effort for me to submit because they're white and blue belts obviously eventually i'll wear them down but the fact that like most white and blue belts will just do dumb shit and walk into just walk into submissions um but the fact that like every single one of them when i first visited were properly using the postures as you prescribed to an effect and i had to trick them i had to layer combos and lay traps for them in a way that i usually wouldn't need to white and blue belts and my statement then holds true today because I recently visited your gym is that like they're all brown and black belts of defense and their appropriate skill level on offense. Um I think the same thing now, you've just shifted your focus from the defensive postures into hip heisting. And that hip heisting, because I, what I found fascinating about kind of where you took the elbow frame and standing up idea and ran with it is that you took it kind of in a way... To kind of be the the red team against my elbow frame, against all the sweeping, because you're right. If the top guy keeps hip heisting, suddenly getting up is also much more challenging. And so you can use it on both ends, versus simply as the person on bottom. And I I kind of enjoyed that when I came to uh to visit. And even the way that you taught your your par- your portion of it, kind of preempting everything versus waiting to be in a bad position and having to rise.
0: Yeah, and it's again, it's it's one of those. It was objectivity. I think you know you made a really good point when we were doing the the tour last year, of you know because I got to listen to this repeatedly night after night on the on the seminars, of um, you know there is certain things that you do in jiu-jitsu, especially as someone who's passing, that only exist when um, the other person lays down for you, but the second that you have the other person on the floor, try and stand up your passing isn't real and that objectivity of going right then i can't have if you give people a choice they'll be lazy if you Mm -hmm. just say to people, because there's in in the gym there's no fail state for being on the floor compared to other situations yeah and so i had to be like no actually there is a fail state i'm gonna fucking hurt you if you i'm gonna i'm gonna pull out a fucking (laughs) stick and i'll hit you if you stay on the floor.
1: I love that we're simultaneously moving into the future while also moving into the past with corporal punishment for mistakes. Like, you are simultaneously progressive and traditional. I'm impressed.
0: (laughs) We were joking on the podcast last night, Naki and I were saying that, because my nickname in the gym is Chris Um, Jong-un. Because of how much I'm a a dictator of a socialist republic of people who... um, because I don't believe in belts anymore, I think that it's all, we're all there for the greater good of the state. And...
1: um You always take these things so far. But
0: we then ended up... we ended up all a,
1: there for the greater good of the state. Oh, my gosh. For dear leader, of course. Yes. For dear leader, Chris And Mates. so, and last
0: night we came up with Fidel Cristro. I was like, oh. I'm so happy. All right, this is all, I, I've got a whole new t-shirt range I can make oh gosh
1: (laughs) and you even have a graphic designer at your disposal morgan will have a field day with these ideas
0: oh i'm yeah i can't wait i'm gonna have to send him these things
1: um but But actually to to, to, to touch on the belt thing real fast because i've been thinking about that a lot because my least favorite part of jujitsu is evaluations is judgment is decree but at the same time one of my favorite parts is this idea of rite of passage i like the idea of when it's a slam dunk when it's so clear right when like when you meet someone you're like oh yes of course this is a blue belt purple belt etc and the idea that like what the the stratification of belts has done that is a positive thing is that it allows for you know, the, the smaller leagues. Granted, there's the sandbagging problem and this or that, but the idea that even if you get started late, you can be a beginner at your age group and at your belt group and then and make your way up and having these these kind of B, C, and D leagues that that is just what, you know, like white, blue, purple, brown are to the, the Premier League. I think it has a value. And then outside of competition, it has a value of just... Recognition from someone you respect because that's all a belt is. It's recognition from someone, ideally, you know, from someone you respect, saying, Hey, you're on the right path. You've taken a step towards what my view as your coach is of whatever they mean for each of the belts, right? Brandon McCaffrey has a cool way of describing what the belts mean, and so do the Gracie's, and everyone has their thing for the belts. But I do think that idea of being recognized, of completing the task of acquiring a hard to like a challenging skill, there's something there. There's a there's a value in that. This is what
0: Naki and I were talking about because we're finding it very difficult to consider promotions in the gym now, just because I think when you when we started mixing in a lot of this um, standing up and and power dominance and various other ideas for training is that power and weight and age play a massive part. And I think one of the toxic parts of of belts is, you know, in in a sport that revolves around power, um, you know, we have weight divisions, we have age, we have gender, we have all those things for competition. But in a gym, it's an absolute division. And you're always trying to climb the league table. And if someone below you on the league table, belt wise, is also just a monster, a powerful b- machine who's bigger than you, like they're gonna smash you because they want to climb you on the league table, and you don't want to get smashed by them because you think, "Well, I'm above you." It's a hierarchy, and especially with a lot more of this slamming going on, we had to enforce a communist regime. Um ju-
1: <laughs> just, well, or you could wait by right, slam you. You can do wrestling without allowing. Frickin yeah, power bombs but 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 to make sure like people
0: respected each other enough that they weren't always trying to one-up each other on a league table it was like no we do the right thing by everyone um for the greater good of everyone like you're yeah, not here for your be, own benefit I, I, okay.
1: and your view is that the belts undermine your egalitarian yes. desires
0: yes like they're they're good perfect for competition but in the gym we don't wear them we don't care um because we're all here oh, okay, okay for the so once the again. Gym. This
1: is what you always do. You always make a statement that sounds fucking nuts. And then when I dig <laughs> I dig into it, I'm like, okay, it's actually quite measured and reasonable. The idea yeah. of simply not wearing your so you're, you're like tenth planets the same way. Yeah, they don't well, no, they never not, wear their ring. Not
0: wearing them, but I not we don't care even like you know, if you're against someone in the gym, you don't look at them and think, Oh well they're a blue belt. It's like no. We're all the same level. Um We'll yeah, only because that's sparring, we only have just that to compete. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah the belts exactly. are for
1: competition. But also I think that there's the recognition of, of skills and understanding. Because especially, in my opinion, once you pass a purple belt, I think that, in my opinion, it's obviously getting blurred as the skill set in jiu-jitsu is getting more and more diverse. And mm-hmm. But even back in the day, a monster purple belt can scare black belts and should be able to tap black belts it should be able to that at least for yeah. me that was always one of my measures of a purple belt like if if you can't scare me even for a moment like if you're in the best part of your game and you can't make me even worried you're not a purple belt yeah
0: oh yeah you, i think uh, purple brown and black is can be almost negligible different sometimes like a good purple belt should be able to with a right with that sharp tool stab a black yeah. belt
1: Yeah, so like, if I'm a black belt, I mean, I am a black belt, but, like, if if I'm going against the purple belt, they should have a game. It could be their guillotine, their ankle lock, their armbar, whatever, where if I put my hand in the Venus flytrap, they should be able to catch me. And at least make me try, like, a motherfucker to escape. They might not catch me, but they should make me, like, give me some heart palpitations, you know? They should at least, you know, give me some worries. But... Beyond that, I think it then shifts into the realm that we obsess over, which is what can you do for the club? Can yeah. you take care of everybody else? Can you convey information? Can you keep everybody else safe? Are you... like? I think it immediately after Parable shifts into not your acquisition of skill, but your ability to communicate skill and do other things for the club. In it's, my personal opinion. But I
0: think that should be across the board as in it should be a case of no matter who you are, it's a rising
1: tide and you raise everyone up. And yeah, I agree with that. But I also think that in the beginning, I mean, granted, like, I guess it shifts because you're giving such a rich amount of defense early that the idea that the, the beginner, in my opinion, oftentimes the beginner is just trying to acclimate, just figure out what the hell yeah, what yeah. are we even doing here? And to expect them to be modulating how they're rolling i mean they can modulate how they're rolling but like to be worrying about everyone else in the club i think that's too much to expect of a beginner
0: no but looking from a beginners perspective is they're trying to prove themselves and that's where you have like you know like a big oh yeah 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 yeah. like (laughs) a big a big guy a big new beginner versus a small blue belt is a problem because the small blue belt is looking at that white belt thinking i don't want a white belt to tap me but they're twice my size. And that little white, that giant white belt is looking at that blue belt going, I can fuck him up. And I've that's... seen
1: it so many times. Like the, my favorite example of this, and I'm not going to name the names, but my friend, I love you. This story is about you. It is, but I'm not going to name you. Um, He's a white belt. He's a skilled white belt. I don't know if he's still white belt now, but, um, and he was going against a like hundred pound female, purple or brown belt at the time. And his view was, even though I wear double them, they should be able to roll with me. They're an expert. I'm a beginner. And I'm like, yes, yes, but neon neon neck or neon temple, probably not the move to be using on a 100-pound woman, regardless of the color of belt they have around their waist. And... And that was—I had a long conversation with them, and they couldn't figure out why that woman's husband chose to beat the living crap out of them <laughs> <laughs> the round after they did neon temple on their hundred-pound wife. Because it's jujitsu; they, they're higher skilled. They should be able to. And i was tried so desperately to explain to them, and I don't know if it ever got through. This is a conversation I had years ago. This is an old incident. But it really typifies exactly what you're talking about where when we begin trying to – and there's so many gyms where they do have their monstrously good, usually female lightweight, who can submit many larger men, especially beginner men. But as that larger person gains more skill, it's going to become harder and harder. And for you to keep up that expectation of of being Superman or Superwoman, even though you're the small person, like – it gets hard and it gets dangerous.
0: I think... So it was the Rob Biannacki podcast that I did with him on here. He said it really well. It's really stuck in my fucking head. Is for most people, their main competition is their own gym. Mm -hmm. And so that made me realize that that is toxic because every night you could be fighting for your fucking life instead of trying trying to improve for the team. And like trusting that if we all rise... Together, it will make us all better. Um, and so that was the kind of like crux moment that made me think, holy shit, I need to change the atmosphere because you're going to have smaller, maybe blue belts trying to get up versus a bigger, lesser skilled, but very hungry white belt who's then just going to slam them to prove a point. And you keep doing that day in, day out. And people are like, fuck that. I don't want to go in because the amount of messages I get of other people from other gyms saying you know i'm a small purple belt but the giant blue belts are kicking my ass and they, they you know i'm getting hurt a lot what do you recommend i'm like fucking move like that shouldn't be the case like i love the fact that we go to competitions as a team and where you know i'm going to support the team but then get back to the gym fuck you all like i'm staying here on the league league table um, but
1: here's the interesting thing that like part of the thing that i love about jiu jitsu is that you should be able to lose without injury. So like that, that big white belt, maybe in my opinion, the tiny blue belt just shouldn't roll with the big white belt. I think that you shouldn't be rolling with a giant spazzy white belt unless the gap in skill between you and them is big enough to compensate for the size discrepancy. So if that, that big white belt has gained enough skill That your skill gap is no longer big enough to compensate for size. And you don't trust them because they are a beginner and beginners don't have control. You should just not roll with them. But I do think also that being able to just be defeated by that larger person, not be injured by them, but just lose is valuable for the kind of like, almost like, like, what would I call it even like? evolution like evolution of the gym like that, that kind of like darwinism like i think that the technical Darwinism at of the gym is a valuable thing but i think you're you're mainly talking about like when you say being smashed you mean being injured not just being defeated or being tapped
0: it can be a bit of both uh, th- uh, the analogy that i give uh, which i thought i did say at the at the heidelberg camp is like i you know i have a nine-year-old son and if i wanted to improve his ability to play soccer and goal i have a choice I can blast the ball through his little body and kill him. Um, I can trick shot over his head. Fuck him. He can't save it because he's short. Or I can kick the ball off the field. Fuck him. I don't want to play. I'm better than him. Or I can kick the ball at a level that he may or may not save it, but I'm doing it at a level that makes it okay for him. And in every exchange in the gym, there's always an adult and a child ignoring the belts. There's a power difference in skill or generation. Um and it is up to the highest power generating person to play to the level of the the lower one to improve oh, yeah, yeah. them. I would agree with that, yes. Um but the second you start getting a little bit of belt in there, like, ooh, I'm a higher belt, fuck 'em. Like or I'm a lower belt, but I'm bigger, fuck 'em. And then you have people that you know, we're quite powerful guys, and so I don't think we've maybe felt it as fucking flexing your chest. <laughs> um
1: I'm, i haven't hurt neck i'm trying i'm not flexing i'm trying to i'm doing my exercises <laughs> prescribed by my right. chiropractor
0: i'm just gonna sit there doing that the entire time which way um, the beach
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <That> way. <laughs> um but that i think you know especially because of you know again having so many beginners come through the door over the years like hearing that i'm like well, i just get smashed up by this guy he's trying to prove a point and i'm like yeah well i need to figure out a best way of explaining that that no like we're rising tide, if we to operate as a team and get better as a team, you need to stop hurting each other and this is probably the safest way of explaining it.
1: Okay. I, I'm I'm with you on on that. I guess the approach that I've taken to solve the same problem, not going down the like, well abolish the rankings, because rankings aside, I still see deathmatches happening amongst peers of size and 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 skill. I think it's that notion of learning how to roll. In my opinion, I the way I break it down is there's three ways to roll. If you're the larger, more skilled person, I can roll for you, which is what you're describing, which is like effectively like holding mitts for someone. I'm giving you looks. I'm trying to figure out. Oh, let, me, oh, let me finish. I finish. And get, and and I want you to. I'm rolling just slightly above where you are, so that you. Can get your looks, maybe even at your level or lower than your level, so that you get looks. I can roll for us, which is I think what you're describing, which is bringing my effort down such that my output of skill and physicality matches as closely with yours as can, and we can have a competitive role. And then finally, there's competition training, which is rolling for me. And I think that all three of them have their place within the gym. I think the thing that we miss out on in most cases in Jiu Jitsu. Is having a clear communication as to which of those three were actually doing it at any given time. There's the there's the meme that we that is often laughed at, but I think it it, it harkens to like a real problem in the culture of most gyms in jitsu, which is hey, let's roll a light, followed by murder. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's the big problem that like there should be a the same way that we most gyms have a there's a sacredness to the tap. Like all, all moves aside whatever if you rip something after someone's tapped you're kind of universally a scumbag like yeah. there's there's very like it's kind of like there's very very few exceptions as to when ignoring a tap could possibly be justified within the context of a training environment in in a gym um but we don't have that around upping the intensity uh without consent yeah, yeah. there's no taboo around that it's a big joke. The idea of rolling light is a big joke. And I think that's a problem. So teaching people how to roll technically or roll in a way that that mitigates the big size difference. Oh. Yes, this lighter person taps you out. Yes, you could have you could have picked them up like the Incredible Hulk. But does is there value in that? Like I roll often with Natasha. Is there value in me just going, "I'm bigger than you, Hulk." No, there's not. So like I could try to break Natasha's teeth as my rear naked choke every single time. Or I could try to actually get through her defenses. And then I get a great role with her. So I think that, that lesson is what I've been trying to teach for a long time. And it's challenging. And so I'm happy that you found that removing the rankings has helped. But I, I i don't know i think there is a value to them but i guess not not thinking about them when you're rolling but like there is a value to giving There's, that accolade you
0: know there is especially if like i think you know if you're competing it helps obviously you know fight to a high level i think eventually you know i would give belts out mate you know in a, in that kind of if you go compete this is what you should be at kind of reason um but it means nothing in here uh, like especially like lining people up and like there's a hierarchy of how you line up and that. I think that's fucking mental. Um, but what I think inter- is interesting is I stopped caring about my belt once I got the black belt because I'm like... I, you have or, the privilege. And I think You have that's, black belt
1: privilege. Just like that, I do. I, th-
0: I think it's very easy for us to not care if we have blue belts womp on us because like, well, it doesn't diminish the fact that I'm a black belt. But if you're still trying to prove yourself to climb, there's nothing for, for us to still climb. <laughs>
1: I don't know. It's not about this decline. I think that there's a lot of black belts, a lot of black belts who have a problem being tapped by a color belt. A very yeah. large number of them. I remember being a brown belt. I didn't even tap this guy. I passed a black belt's guard and he tried to injure me. He tried to break my arm as revenge just for passing his guard. And he, he I thought he was going to fight me in the parking lot just because to him the way that I passed his guard was embarrassing and I brought shame upon him and he wanted to injure me. I've been to other gyms where, like, a beginner—that's a, a puppy. Sorry, there's a puppy upstairs. It's not oh, my puppy. Thank usually, God, there's no I, one dying in the house. I was
0: freaking out. There. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. I let's. Uh, we might have to. I don't know why they just decided to start crying. That might actually ruin this. I don't know if I can stop that. Um, that's. Uh... <laughs> i haven't got,
0: i i haven't got elevated music that i can just put on whilst you uh oh the, you go
1: i mean i guess you can just pause it for a second but there's nothing i can really do no. um hold on a second let's just give me a i got to pause it for a second there's also someone getting home this is a complicated situation one second oh, oh well oh. welcome
0: welcome to villain cast with just me um so if you're just hey. tuning in oh uh,
1: that's what's going on I'm actually in the middle of a podcast so I, was, like, I, I, I said right I'm now, mute Charles' say, microphone because you can hear everything he's yeah, saying the- I can ah
0: <sighs> there we go so okay well no one can hear Charles right now um, he's had some some issues I'm just going to un- un, uh, unmute Charles uh, he has returned
1: Natasha's sibling is over and they got home and their dog could sense it, and that's why they freaked out. So now that they are home,
0: we have quiet. I muted your microphone, so half that was missing.
1: <laughs> so you have to just keep listening to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was I was putting uh, some, put in some uh, brief commentary, in as you as you wandered off, no, 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 uh,
1: I'm happy. It worked out really well because I didn't know what I was going to do, but I'm happy that there was a reason behind it because they got home, and now they went up, and they're taking care of their puppy and it. Perfect. Uh-huh. Um to I so what I was saying uh was about belts? Oh, actually no. So I think this is like there's a lot of little things that like there are that there's a value there. Like for example, to me as a beginner, when I got to a gym, like the belts let me know kind of like who I could trust in the men. And then it's not even necessarily true, but like at least when I first started, it was like don't roll with the other white belts. The other white belts are going to be spazzy and they're going to injure you roll with blue and purple belts and they're going to take care of you that was what i was told when i when i first started training in the gi, or as a coach if you walk in and especially in larger gyms and i see a room full of white a room full of blue i'm going to modulate my lesson to a certain degree but if i see all purple brown and black belts i know that i can Teach a more advanced class. I think that those little things are of value. Now, can you achieve those same things without it? Of course, you can. Of course, you can find ways. I mean, the nogi only schools have been successfully doing it for years, and you're going, I think, even beyond those schools now with your, you know, like boats don't mean anything thing. And I guess, like, if we step outside of the more traditional martial arts, like, virtually every other combat sport kind of does it, but also kind of don't, right? Like, wrestling doesn't have belts but there is seniority on a wrestling team you know
0: yeah yeah and that seniority
1: that. has something like and it's all based upon competition accolades you know like if i think even if you think sumo has even more of that like i'm thinking of other combat sports muay thai doesn't have belts i mean i guess they they i guess i'm seeing that they kind of have belts yeah, not in yeah America.
0: Not, but more for competition again yeah, um,
1: but it's 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 your seniority of accolades of, of, of competing. Yeah.
0: But again it's like I don't like the idea of of your seniority then dictating who can play with who as in I know, agree with that. When I was when I was when I was to Muay Thai, it was a case of you know if, even if someone was like a, a goddamn British champion, it's like, no, they'll still hold the pads for you. Like, yeah. You just, and they'll still go to your they're not just gonna look at you and go, Fuck you, you get to have C T E today. Um and then
1: just whop me in the head. They're like I think that 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 is due to the fact that in the striking arts, you have to. Because in those arts, in boxing gyms and Muay Thai gyms, if you don't, they'll often just get rid of you. And they'll get rid of you often in a a less than pleasant fashion. Like if if you're a giant beginner trying to beat the crap out of the smaller intermediates in a striking gym, their version of the mat enforcer might just knock you unconscious. And you're not welcome back at this gym. It happens in boxing gyms across America all the time. I I know England has reputations for doing the same in their boxing gyms. of like having their gym wars. And if a guy off the street or a beginner comes and gets a little too rowdy, especially with a lighter weight boxer, they're going to just take care of it. But like that old way, I don't think is the only way. But I also do agree with you that watching in the more traditional settings where like Some innocent, you know, purple or blue belt just wants to roll with the visiting instructor. Hey, would you like to roll? I, how dare you ask me for a roll? Like, it's just so pretentious. Now, being injured right now, I also understand, and like you also talking about everyone lining up to try and murder us at the camp. Like, that for our own health, like, we should occasionally say no. But because of our... At least for me, you can call it pride or you can just call it like my own thoughts on what I've been training all these years for. I've been training all these years to be able to spar with everybody when I'm healthy. So I'm going to say yes. But I even I, because the neck injury got bad enough, I had to start saying no and be like, sorry. Like, my neck is violently injured and I have to not roll with you today. And like that hurt my soul. But I had to do it because I felt it. I'm like, if I keep doing this, like I'm... I'm just not going to be able to walk properly. I mean, I'm going to really damage myself. I keep just rolling on this injury for the entire week. And
0: yeah, and then it comes around full circle, pretty much exactly what I've been saying, as in, you know, that kind of situation there, you could be against someone who's a blue belt or whatever. Even though you're injured, they look at it and go, but I could tap a black belt today. Yeah. And, think, and you think, Put your head on
1: their wall man
0: yeah it's not for the good of anyone I'm an injured human being why the fuck are we doing this just because I've got a different belt color
1: which is fascinating it's actually something that I learned off of Craig Jones I went to the um, I haven't applied it because I'm stubborn but like (laughs) I went to his leg locker camp in uh, Belgium with him and Lachlan fabulous camp I really enjoyed the whole thing but his answer to it was he just refuses to have hard roles with people he doesn't know hmm and so, like, if he's at the camp and, like, someone starts turning it up with him, he just starts going, eh. It just lets them tap him 15 times. Because when, when you come, they come home, they tell a story. Yeah, I tapped Craig once. Yeah, they're going to believe that. Yeah, I tapped Craig Jones 15 times.
0: <laughs> That's clever. I like that. I- and so,
1: and so he kind of just takes the, the weight out of the entire thing. And it's fascinating. But at the same time, like when I got to roll with him, it was frustrating. Cause like I wanted, cause like, I think that's the thing that kind of happens. Like you, when you, cause I found myself like the shoe on the other foot. Cause like I'm often the coach, but now here I was, I wanted to use it as a chance to kind of like measuring stick myself. Like I've been training hard. I don't really compete very often. Like I'm not trying to have an ADCC role, but I wanted to see how all the things I've been practicing measured up against someone of his caliber he was just fucking about the entire time. Like, he refused to make the role a serious role. And I was like, I get it. And I, w- I wasn't going to be the asshole to, like, pick it up with him beyond that level. So our role ended up being quite goofy and silly and, like, not much happened. Rolling with Locklin, on the other hand, he gave me a regular gym role where, like, we both got to roll pretty hard. And I, it's something about rolling with certain people that, like, I can memorize the entire role. And, like, I built an entire seminar off of what I took away from a five-minute roll with Lachlan. And I still teach it. Natasha and I call it the infinite loop. We obsessed over the way leg locks interplay with bolos and, like, all of that from just feeling how the way I was defending with my frames and the way he was attacking and counterattacking, how it all fit together against someone of such a caliber was very valuable to me. At the end of the roll, no one was injured. No one snapped anything. Like, we were both completely healthy. But we rolled at at a pretty good clip for five minutes. And like, to me, that's perfect training is being able to roll up to a level that is serious, but no one is getting hurt. No one is, is getting those unnecessary damage. And at the end of the day, like to me, it's really valuable. And I still, you know, I'm very thankful that I was able to have that experience. And so I, I guess because of that, I'm still occasionally going to these seminars where I'm the student, it kind of keeps, keeps me grounded into like, what it's like on the other side. Because it's yeah, easy yeah. when you're always being the coach to forget the feelings of someone who's just excited to be there.
0: Yeah. They're just
1: excited to get to roll with you. I also had the fun fact at that camp of being like like the consolation prize. So like if <laughs> if Craig and Lachlan were busy rolling. Yeah. yeah. Then there was like me and Alexander Neufong and a few other people were like the people who knew us to be like, oh well, I guess I'll go try and kill one of them instead. And so <laughs> I got to be the the consolation prize, and I had the same thing you are talking about with people were trying to kill me at that camp, and I wasn't even a coach.
0: Yeah, speaking of Mister Neufang, uh, he is one of the other people who uh, one of the other people have been requested to appear as a, a guest on this podcast. But
1: I think that will be fabulous. In my opinion, bar none, he is the most creative person in jiu-jitsu. Like I have yeah. not met anyone as now. Mind you, being able to get that distilled madness and creativity of jiu-jitsu From his mad scientist head into your head, for me, has proved challenging at times. But when you can, like there's certain classes that he's refined down, it's fucking beautiful. Like there's things that he does that just no one else does. And for the longest time, he was dismissed by other people. That's just Neufung doing his craziness. It only works for him. And I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think it's possible that he could be so effective. Yeah. Without... There being him being to something, and when you talk jiu-jitsu with him, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of theories, there's a lot of concepts. He's not necessarily able to fully articulate all of it perfectly yet, but like you can just tell, there's fucking gold under there. And so we we got to teach a camp together in Enschede at Apex Jujitsu, and Netherlands a few months ago, and we got to trade. I taught some elbow frame stuff. He taught some of his madness in both gi and nogi. And I took away a lot of little things from him that I'm still using. And my most proud moment of the use of the elbow frame was Neufang in Iceland did 254 five-minute rounds in one week and was not tapped even once, even rolling with the other instructors of the camp. Good God. He told me that apparently at around roll 180, he started getting tired. (laughs) (laughs) and his body just couldn't do his usual madness anymore and he started using the elbow frame and he told me about it and he's just like yeah like i can do all of this without getting tired so now when nothing else works and my body's broken down he could still make the elbow frame work and to me like for a peer of mine not a beginner not somebody else too because we taught alongside each other the same way that you and i do Mm -hmm. for a peer of mine to take that information and actually use it in a role and then come and give me feedback was so so great and reassuring to me because of the fact that like thus far it had really just been me. I know you took it and ran and your students took it and ran. But um Noifong was the first person who I guess just kind of was like put it to that kind of test. And I guess so from a roll 180 to roll two hundred and fifty four, he was using the elbow frame and was still able to keep attacking and be in those matches and like have that kind of uh effective thing. So to me, that was another like great kind of like milestone that like, cause you're heavily in defensive Jiu Jitsu. Like we kind of, this idea when I look back to like, when you first told me the idea of the sitting up out of running man, like that's effectively what I'm doing with the elbow mm-hmm. frame. I completely ignored it when you told me that like back in 2018, I'm, like, I was just focused on the other one. And I, never fully got good at the running man. But your your concept, I remember when you gave me the coins to hide the coins on my hips, that was my favorite drill. And I moved around and I got that idea. It stuck with me. And then uh, to come full circle and now to be bringing it back was really powerful. But like, I'm curious to see where else this goes and how, how far we can take it and spread it. And I'm ready, once again, thanks to one of your students when I visited you, Expanding it, and I have a whole new section of elbow framing with chest facing, not just chest away, that I've been working. Okay. With. Oh, yeah. And them, it was all I'll because of your. Uh, I don't know if he was one of your students or the guy who did Aikido, who gave a really tight side control. I could not make my elbow frame on the near side. Yes. But because he over he over exaggerated the top side, he gave me access on the bottom side. Did a regular knee elbow escape, shifted my elbow out, and now I'm elbow framing on the other side that has blown up the number of places I can now elbow frame from. Because now I don't have to have you behind me. I can do it when you're in front of me as well. And so now it's really like just everywhere. I'll let him know. I'll let him
0: know that. I'll tell him to uh, to listen to this podcast. And be... Yeah, yeah. He's
1: 100%. I forgot his name. but He was a really nice guy. And he was yeah, like, yeah. apologizing. He's like, did I? No, I was like, no, I, I want you to do that. You pinned me. I could not do the thing. I was teaching the class. So I have to honestly evaluate what I'm teaching and be like, how would I solve this problem? And due to him, I had to level up the quality of what it is that I teach. Had he done the thing that like a passive student would do and just let me escape because I'm the coach, that discovery would never have been made.
0: Was it the stocky guy, the South African, is... or the?
1: Yeah, there we go. I'll... He was stocky. I don't know if he's from South Africa, but he was a stocky guy. Long hair, short hair, longish. Okay. Oh. I think longish. He was wearing a black gi, and he said he did Aikido. Only, I don't think both of them did Aikido. I know, I know who you're on about. Yeah, I'll let him know. Um, Does he have long hair or short hair? Am I wrong? Short hair. It's short? There's, There's a couple of like, Aikido guys, but I know which one. Compared to me, it's long. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone's listening to this on Spotify, Charles has had a, a, a pretty sharp haircut. of oh, fuck all. Fresh. Natasha just um, shaved my
1: head today. She, she set me up. So if you're not watching the video, you're missing out on my freshly done in the bathroom upstairs haircut like
0: charles has even got the lights off in his room it's just the the light bouncing off his laptops lighting got the room off
1: his head <laughs> sorry dude um, i'm hoping though well, i'm gonna go i still have some hair but when i go all i'm going full steve harvey shiny head like whenever um, i lose my hair all the way i'm gonna wax this thing i'm oh, gonna lovely. go full shiny head i i don't my head's the, decent the, shape
0: the full harvey
1: Oh yeah, the full Steve Harvey shiny head's coming. I don't know how many years I got left of this current uh, buzz cut, but when I when it goes, we're going full shiny head. Are you still interested in starting your podcast off? We I actually about that. am. I've actually um, I started like some ideas. I was trying to collect stories from the other coaches at camp. I only got two stories: one from Wim and one from Knut. Um, just told me no. He's like, <laughs> he's like I don't have a story. He's like no, it was hilarious. But um, I it made me think that I do just um, I wanna I wanna start a podcast. I have actually six episodes from 2020 in the pandemic that I recorded. I only released one that I'll probably be releasing as like jiu jitsu el tiempo de COVID 19, like kind of a little like mini series, <laughs> <laughs> and um. But then I'm gonna. I want to do this, and especially as I've learned from you, I was on the Roll Radio podcast um, yesterday, and they they were giving me some advice on how to start a podcast, and I'm very much inspired. And I like talking about jiu-jitsu, and I like picking the brains of interesting people. And through my travels, like I've met a host of interesting people that I would love to talk to, and I've had great conversations with them. They're just not recorded. Because I know that for most normal people, talking on on the record, so to speak, can be a little nerve-wracking because they're worried they might say something wrong, might offend someone, they might get themselves canceled. And so, like, the conversation's not the same. But mm-hmm. um, I think as long as we keep the topic mostly on, on jiu-jitsu and not on, you know, petty squabbles and things that are going to get people in trouble, I think it can be a good thing. Because I've had just... So many great conversations, even just in the past two months, that I think would have been gems of podcasts. Yes.
0: Well, I look forward to to releasing that, and I'll I'll definitely advertise the shit out of it when I'll probably uh, join you.
1: Like I'm I'm pretty much I'm gonna I'm gonna become one of your patrons simply to just completely steal your way of doing things. I'm gonna look at your Patreon and just blatantly copy and paste your entire model and then I'll have my own Patreon as well and just do exactly what you're doing and and hopefully
0: this is free this whole podcast is free it's on Spotify and Ah. Amazon and YouTube and Google and Apple I beautiful yeah I and so the Patreon
1: thing is just if people want to have that extra access to you to um, yeah yeah yeah.
0: any, any ideas I just have come into my head that I'm still working through I'll post on the Patreon and go, right, this is what I'm currently working on. I'm not going to make a big video of it out of it just yet, but you know, this, this is stuff that I'm I'm currently enjoying. I still
1: like that because as of right now, the only person who gets to hear that is Natasha.
0: <laughs> and
1: she usually hears it at, at times that she'd rather not be hanging about jujitsu. as I like wake up in a fever dream. Hey, Natasha, I think I've solved jiu-jitsu. What? what time is it so <laughs> that's
0: essentially what the patreon is but also like if anyone uh so some people pay for like extra videos like they send me questions i'll make them a video on that subject and, i
1: love that idea because i love um, i love the idea of customized instruction like i still view jiu like a video game and private lessons are me getting to like play as a different character like yeah. I, I i'm i'm playing as a wizard i want oh you're playing as a rogue let me try and help you on your journey like i i i love it I some love it. nerd shit right there dude oh yeah i i'm i'm wearing a fucking gundam wing anime shirt like i i'm or is this g-gundam which one do i have this is the g-gundam shirt this is not my gundam wing shirt this is a, it's a actually in my opinion very underrated anime if you if you like the classic ones very episodic i enjoy. like I, I am a nerd but nerding nerding out on things like Leads you to interesting places. It really yes. does. Yes. Well, I'll
0: happily give you ideas for making a mediocre podcast when uh, <laughs> when the time comes. Um, although, to be fair, to be fair, it did catch me off guard. I was looking at like what kind of numbers are good for podcasts, and I found some sources online, and it said the numbers I'm currently getting per week. Would put me in the top ten percent of all podcasts. I'm like,
1: how the fuck did that happen? Well, I think <laughs> it's partially because like Joe Rogan has been pushing the idea that everyone on Earth should have a podcast for about like a decade, right? And so I think that a lot of people are just like, yeah, a podcast. But what makes a good podcast, I think, is what you're currently doing. It's consistency. Yeah, and so like bef- the fact that even with how you started the show, right every single week there will be a podcast if you have no guests you and naki will be cutting it up and there will be a podcast come hell or high water there will be a podcast that to me is what makes it and why people will keep watching you whereas i think what will happen is a lot of people will do what i did which is they'll record six podcasts or so edit one get frustrated editing the damn podcast release the one and then be like you know what fuck this or they'll do it for a week or a month and then just get tired. I think that the ability to be consistent outstrips talent, outstrips creativity. It's just the ability to keep taking that step forward and consistently, because each time, because of who you are, I know you're improving. I know that this podcast is better produced and better organized than the one you did a month ago. It has to be, because of who you are.
0: I cannot wait, because you say you hit on the head of consistency. I cannot wait for you to have guests. Run out of guests and just do the you and Natasha show. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I... <laughs> I think that I want to do that even before that, because Natasha and I bantering about Jiu-Jitsu, especially now. Like, I'm such, like... It's so interesting because she's my girlfriend, but also, like, I have this coaching role. I'm so proud of Natasha. So I almost don't want to tell this story because it's her story to tell. So I'm going to... She actually, like, I think you should have Natasha on, whether it's with me or without me. But she had, in my opinion, like her jiu jitsu coming of age moment in that she had her own, like, epic, like, you know, five or 10 people at a Globetrotters camp all wanted to roll at the same time. She rolled with all of them, like, won their respect, and like, and it had nothing at all to do with me. It was because of her and the reputation she's built for herself in coming to Globetrotters camps and her own jiu-jitsu. And I think that that moment when you kind of shift from it being like, hey, Charles, oh, hey, Natasha, to hey, Natasha, for her own, for like her skills in her own right is such, and she told me about it, I've never been happier. Like, I was so proud. And so like, I think that I almost told the story. Hopefully I didn't ruin it. I think you should have Natasha on and have her tell that story. And um, she would love it because she's been on a couple other podcasts already um, talking about being a traveling person in jiu-jitsu, woman in jiu-jitsu. I think she'd be a great interview because we've been talking a lot about kind of her redefining the role of what an uke is. Because she's not just Mm -hmm. a body that I toss around. She's giving feedback to like, here's how you drill this technique properly. Here's how the person receiving technique can do better. Here's what I'm feeling. Whereas at most seminars... If you're lucky enough to be the UK, you get some secrets no one else does because mm-hmm. you cannot talk about and see everything. So that extra perspective that at the end of each time I teach something, hey, Natasha, anything to add? That little segment to me is more and more what I'm getting feedback. People saying like, that's so helpful. That's so special. And it's not something that you get in a lot of seminars when the coach is grabbing a random person off the side. Yeah. Hey, let me let me choke you. You know? Yeah, I get that.
0: I get that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, I'll see when I can get her on, and uh, we'll do the same. Um, Yeah. Unless you just do the Natasha and Charles show, which I'll just
1: no. I think that we will definitely do that. But I know that she would love because I see the way that you guys you guys get along entirely too well, and it's been this way since the very beginning. Like I still remember our first road trip tour the day before we left, the amount of shit talking. And and like riding and like busting of my balls that occurred when you two came together <laughs> was uh, way too high. It was it was at a point because individually, either you or Natasha, I can handle it. I can hold my own. I c- I can swap back the ball busting, and I feel great. But when you guys, when your powers combined like some sick fusion dance, that's when <laughs> I, I my soul starts breaking.
0: I know it's glorious. I I couldn't wait for Heidelberg just because I knew remember, that. Would hold on.
1: Do you remember after we left the seminar at Garden State? Yes. When Natasha asked you to mess with me, and you kept up a Cockney accent for two <laughs> hours in the car. Two hours of whatever do you mean? We should make a left turn. Two hours. <laughs> of Oliver Twist in the car I thought I was going to die
0: <laughs> nothing good ever happens in Jersey because um, <laughs> <laughs> then the last time we were in Jersey we were in a place that was well due for demolition by the looks of things um,
1: you, oh, oh, the whole, oh. <laughs> have you told this story to your guests
0: I'd say as the final thing we'll say on this podcast, just before because it's we've been going for to an be hour. Clear, and a half. Not the
1: gym. The gym we went to was fabulous in Germany Yes, last time. this was this was a hotel we stayed at.
0: So, so okay, um, this would be this. You crested stores stories of the black belts, and you wanted funny, weird jujitsu stories. We were traveling, uh, touring amongst loads of different gyms across the states. We've been to, to Colorado, Pennsylvania. Uh, we're going down to Georgia we were going all over the place and we were in Philly and we needed a place to stay near the gym. We were at, I can see your face. Um, we needed a place to stay uh, near the gym. we were at in, in New Jersey city. Wasn't it? Yep. That kind of area. Um, yeah. And so I quickly found somewhere on. Well, booking. This is clear, com, this is
1: the, mind you for the entire trip previously, these types of decisions were taken care of by me, the local, but I was like, Chris is a grown man; I can trust him because we were eating breakfast, and you were like, "Charles, you want me to handle it?" And I said, "Okay," not realizing that you didn't understand the rating systems of hotels in America, and you chose a hotel that was a six out of ten on its ratings. In the UK, that's a passable formal travel <laughs> lodge. That's
0: that's somewhere you know we have standards.
1: It's a six out of ten in school. It's a failing grade. <laughs> in the UK, that would be a very passable hotel.
0: Uh, that would be like a Premier Inn or something like that. Something that you know, it's not going to be like a Hilton or something. It's like, oh, we could stay here. It'd be that. Nice. It'd be okay. We're only here for a night, just as we travel through. But no. Um, so we get to our hotel in Jersey, and it has signs all over it saying this structure is not suitable for human
1: habitation. Um, but just on the first floor, it's a due to due to structural insufficiency. No one is allowed to be here, and it's all blocked off with like police tape. Uh, part of it had crumbled to the ground.
0: Part of the upper floors had crumbled. The first floor and second floor <laughs> had crumbled into the car park. Um, the so we get to our room. It smelt like on dead. the third
1: floor. Mind you, they book us on a third floor. So this is the amazing thing. Is that the first and second floors are not structurally sound, but somehow the floor which sits <laughs> upon them is, that is okay. <laughs> <That
0: sucked>. <laughs> so <laughs> we go in that first room. We, we took two rooms, didn't we? The first room. Yes. We, it smelled so. It smelled like someone oh, had horrible. died in there. It's not like so a never like, happened. We can't sleep in this room. It smells godless. And so oh. we went and got a second room, and that room. Didn't smell that good either. There was blood all over the microwave. <laughs> <I remember that. laughs> like it just looked like someone had blown a heart up in the oh, microwave. Man. The water in the tap came out sideways and it's hit like and
1: brown. Um, there,
0: there was just some old used boxes on top of the uh, ironing board it's on the God, side I'm of like the room. That. Um, <laughs> and you're there, and I'm pretty sure at this point I've like chained the door because I'm thinking someone's gonna come past we're gonna see a body get dragged past on this (laughs) walkway and someone's it's a i've seen dexter there's someone getting (laughs) like cut up in a room two doors down i thought well we're next uh so yeah i locked the door and you just all i could hear was you know you on the phone to to natasha just describing this hellhole
1: and me just laughing
0: hysterically
1: um, well, because it was all you're doing because like i i should have known so now going through, <laughs> you you never get a room that is less than seven or eight out of ten and you look at pictures and you read the reviews i understand that in, in the uk a six out of ten means that like there's a few pieces of dust and you guys cannot be tolerated that the, they didn't dust the room in the u.s a six out of ten is what you experienced now what you have no. to realize is that there are hotels that are four out of teners dude we we were in overlook like i'm pretty
0: sure it's like an elevator could have opened and blood just splashed out everywhere we were in the overlook hotel new jersey um oh. and i guess i remember telling you a previous story about when i'd when i was coming back home from heidelberg camp oh yeah, was- yeah
1: yeah yeah I should have known that you told me that story not to trust you to choose our hotel please tell this story <laughs> so, <laughs> so I
0: accidentally fucked up my flights and I was flying back the day after the camp finished so I had to get an extra night in Frankfurt and so I thought oh, I'm going to stay at you know, just a cheap hostel for the night I don't need anything special because I'm going to be mostly in Frankfurt so I find the cheap hostel and it comes up of 5 euro for a night I'm like 5 euro for a night this is amazing <laughs> So I go spend a night in this five euro hostel. I get there and it's very, very basic. And they're like, oh, come in, come in. Like, you know, the blankets are on your bed. Uh, The soup is going to be served uh, at six. I get dinner as well in this hostel. I've paid five euros. I get a bed for the night and I get soup. It's not until I put my bags out and I come down for food that I realize that I'm in a
1: homeless shelter. You're (laughs) in a soup kitchen. (laughs) Uh Because I remember when I was talking to Natasha about this, she was just like, Charles, why would you let Chris do this? Like, he booked himself a homeless shelter last time. Like, why would you put him in charge of lodging?
0: He was a six out of ten. Oh, man.
1: Terrible, absolutely terrible. <laughs> I can't wait for our next tour. Um... Oh, actually, I'm very interested because I have decided to stay in the U.S. <laughs> at least mostly for the rest of this year. So if you come to the U.S., I will be here and we can uh, we can set something up. I I've booked myself pretty crazy in the, for the next few weeks through um, the Midwest, um, but uh, after that, I'm still I have a few few spots i have to organize uh, from like tennessee to um portland and a few other spots so i'm going to be going to be getting around uh, most of them will be with natasha but she's been diving back into her massage practice here in town so and you need surrogate only, natasha I uh, yes yeah, so uh, no, i don't need surrogate natasha let's not put it that way you it's not like that at all it's we're actually sp- what i what i really want to do that's not to be talked about on, on recorded air this is you just, private you, conversation. You needed anyway,
0: a warm cuddle that night.
1: As long as hey, I, I, as long as I'm the big spoon, I'm okay with this. It's how, it's how this works. It does not matter that you're a larger human than me. I am still the outer spoon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: what happened oh, in North Carolina? Um, oh man. <laughs> so I had something and- to say, but you just threw me for a loop. I, I've lost it entirely. Uh, oh yeah, actually, Natasha's interested in us finally doing our uh, the tour with all the three of us. So uh, okay, versus versus you being a replacement, you will be an addition oh, to the uh, you to, were... to the tour, and I will hopefully survive uh, the you two were... of you together for uh, after, right. whatever amount of days it's going to be.
0: Well, I'm so glad we've managed to, to <laughs> do this, and I cannot wait for. Uh, the breaking of Charles Harriet tour. Oh
1: Lord. Whenever whenever I get my podcast, I will have you on as well. And uh I'm excited, man. It's uh it's a kind of a cool time. I'm seeing like a lot of a lot of things kinda of blossoming right now. Like I'm I'm seeing the light of uh of kind of where I wanna go with this whole I mean, I've been doing it for years now, but it's one of those things where it's all kinda of coming together. The website yes. has my tour on there, I'm organized, I know where the hell I'm gonna be. I'm no longer just like I'm going to get on a random bus and hope they want jiu-jitsu. Like those, uh, though I still occasionally will do that for fun, it's not my uh, entire life. So, Gainesville, well, Florida is home.
0: I'll make sure I, uh, so anyone who's listening to this on the, if you go look at the YouTube video, I know it will definitely be on there. I'll stick on all of Charles's links or you can just find Charles via Charles Harriet on Instagram. Or
1: um, com. It's very easy. Yes, right there. Very easy. Easy to find. I own my online real estate. Yes, uh, but I'll make sure it's all linked. Don't you Beautiful. worry.
0: Um, thank you for coming on. Um, thank you for having me. Man. What time's it? It's one a.m. for me, so it must be oh, nice.
1: It's eight p.m. It's about to be dinner time for me.
0: Oh, lovely! I'm going to go black out. Um, Good. Thank you for for joining me. This has been a lot of fun, and it's I'm sure so I can't wait to see you again. I miss you, dude.
1: All right. Peace.
0: Good night, sir. Good night.